0: Listen, there's no need to act coy. We know why you're here. You're just here for our wrecks. We get it. And don't worry. We'll give you all the wrecks you can handle because it's 31 days of horror three, return revenge of the genre. You want to take that one again? (laughs) (laughs) Nah, Drew can cut it. You're listening to The Sirens of Scream, where the geek podcast that proves sometimes dead is better. In this, the 55th episode, I'm your host, Jackie DeVore, and I'm here with my lovely, wonderful, smart, beautiful, and incredible co-host, Aww. Melissa Megan. Hi. And Sierra Houck. Hello. Happy fall, witches, and damn, do we have a seriously killer list for you. In previous years, we've kept this list strictly to movies, But we've decided to be a little bit more flexible on that front, because there's just too much good horror out there, and to restrict it to one medium would be criminal. Mm -hmm. But first, how are you guys doing today? We're surviving. (laughs) We're surviving.
1: (laughs) That seems like the
0: best way to put it, honestly. Mm -hmm.
1: There's a mouse on the loose in my house somewhere, and two cats and a dog hunting it, so I may have to duck out to handle (laughs) chaos at some point. (laughs) Depending you on how many things go flying and you
2: knocked in. over in the <laughs> process.
0: <laughs> but, you know, kosher. sounds <laughs> like the start of a horror movie over there at your house there, Melissa. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is. It is. Oh, Michael's has this like big picture frame sale a couple times a year. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we in my house, we have a habit of doing like cons, horror cons and comic cons. And we collect prints and we never frame them. So just recently I went and got piled up on a bunch of frames. And I'm telling you guys, if you need frames, this is the way to do it. Like they're like 70 percent off, 55 percent off. I mean, it was one of those things where I, I walked in on the last day because I almost mm. forgot about it. And there was, like, shit all over the floor. And, like, the <laughs> frames were, like, thrown, like, falling off the shelves. I mean, yeah. they oh had, like, God. cardboard chaos. boxes piled up the walls. <laughs> <laughs> it was
0: chaos. I'm going to need to check that out because Society6 does their gigantic sales around this time of year, too. And I have, mm-hmm. like, a freaking pile of artwork in my office that is just... Getting neglected right now. Yeah, it needs to be hung.
3: Why do frames have to be so expensive? Very expensive. I know. It's like the frame is twice as much as the artwork. I know.
1: <laughs> Even if you buy like the cheap poster frames, which are basically like four chunks of plastic that mm-hmm. just barely stick together, yeah. around your
0: thing. I but. actually went through this whole debacle of trying to buy stuff to make frames, and I mean, making the like the outside frame is fine, but if you try to buy plexiglass to fit that frame oh yeah that sounds hard that's a fucking pain in the ass because that's insanely expensive too like cutting mm-hmm. it is fine like you can do that with a plexiglass clutter but like i have several art pieces that are 38 by 38 and good luck finding anything in that size <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah what the fuck jesus <laughs> so yeah now i'm over here macgyvering my own frames for
2: that
1: well i went out and bought some and i said i'm just gonna you know I think I came home with like seven new frames and that wasn't even, we still have a couple of prints upstairs that don't have frames. And I said, I'm just going to throw a couple of them in there. This turned into like a two day long where I was up till 1130. And then the next day I got up and finished where I couldn't just put the frames in. There were like old pictures that I was tired of looking at. And then I decided (laughs) I liked the frame better on that one Uh than the one that I bought. So then I started switching frames and pictures around Moved the pictures all over the house to different locations. (laughs) Yeah. So now I have new pictures and all my old pictures are in different places. I have a Walking Dead panel that was from the comic book that was behind the right at the dining room table. And Max has been telling me for a while that he doesn't want to look at the zombies anymore. So
3: (laughs) I had to move that one. (laughs) Sorry, buddy.
1: (laughs) Two of them he's decided are scary this year after they've been hanging on the wall for a few years. So (laughs) I had to move them. But now I've got that beautiful Becky Cloonan witch print hanging right in the oh, dining room. So that nice, so good. Yeah.
0: Speaking of cool mm. shit that our favorite artists put out, did you guys see that our friend Liz Sauer put out a book over the weekend? No. She did.
3: Oh my God.
1: She
0: expanded the Claire story into a novel and Damn girl. I, I already bought it and got here Sunday. <laughs> I haven't read it yet, but it looks cool. It's, it's a short novel. Looks fun. We need to ask her how she has time for that shit. I know, right? We're
1: over here like, we got to make time to make these podcasts. (laughs) She's over there (laughs) writing a book.
0: (laughs) Before you jump into our list here, I want to make mention of a site that will be helpful for our listeners called justwatch.com. If you put in the name of any kind of show or movie, it'll tell you where it's streaming, if it's streaming on any kind of surface, or if it's rentable digitally it'll tell you where it's at or how much it is
3: because i've been typing these things into google with like streaming and they don't always show up
2: yeah, yeah. No. That's what it's- <laughs> Just away.
0: here we go you guys ready to jump into some horror?
1: Hell yeah,
0: yeah. All right well you're starting us off. Oh jeez with October 1st.
3: We should say we're expanding out of movies like Jackie said, but I think we should try to like keep it to the the premise of like this is a thing you can like sit down with in a night. And like some of the comic books, I'm excited because I feel like there's probably like parts of the story that would fit into that. I'm hoping Melissa can talk to that a little bit of like easily digestible things, if that makes sense. There's a few
1: things on my list that I'm going to offer that are kind of old, but to make up for that, there's also a few things on my list that have new things coming out that have new parts coming out very soon. So exciting news to go with some of these things. October 1st. We have talked about this movie several times recently, but I could not put it on my list, and that is A Quiet Place. I think if you guys haven't seen this movie yet, it is an absolute must-see from this year. It's a post-apocalyptic story about a family who are trying to survive. The only way to survive from these monsters that have attacked the planet, apparently, or, or at least where they are, is to remain completely silent and that is much harder than it sounds like. (laughs) 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 This movie, I think, does a beautiful job of getting tension perfect, and I think tension often makes a horror film. It's the kind of the backbone of a horror film, and it gets the tension just right. It's likable characters characters that you really feel kind of attached to right away and i think the monster work is really really impressive some people may argue it's more of a drama it's more of a sci-fi it's more of a uh, whatever it's a horror movie and just fucking see it because it's great
3: the tension is also nice because i think they're conscious of what the audience knows at that moment and so you can uh-huh. like tell like oh no that's gonna be bad like yeah. that kid picking up that toy uh-uh-uh. why aren't they watching him and then you're just like you want to yell at the screen yeah so it's very like interactive that way
1: it's interesting too because i think the point of everything being silent them constantly showing you the various ways in which they have evolved to live in the silent world right Mm -hmm. very much ups the tension because it makes you feel like as you're watching the film that you have to remain absolutely silent
2: oh yeah it really
1: (laughs) does it really (laughs) kind of creates this feeling like i can't move I can't breathe. Like, everything has to be still because everything is so still on the screen. I will say you definitely need to watch this with subtitles or closed captioning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of sign language used unless you know sign
3: language and then, hey. That's you don't... super cool. Zero, <laughs> <laughs> what's My for turn. October 2nd? October 2nd is As Above, So Below, which is a movie that you can find on Netflix. It was just recently added.
0: This is one I've been wanting to see, so.
3: It's really cool. So, It has a kind of strong female lead. She's an archaeologist type. She reminds me a lot of the woman in The Mummy. I can't think of the character's name right off the top of my head, but very like, I'm beautiful and I'm smart and I'm going to save myself kind of thing. Nice. And she is going down into the Paris catacombs, which in and of itself are so weird and fascinating and spooky and like a great mix of, like, actual, really, like, real and exist in this world and are scary. And also the, like, mystery and the legends around it on top of it. Kind of that blending of real and, like, is it real or is it not real? And so this movie kind of plays on that really well. I don't want to give too much away, but it definitely reaches a point where is it real or is it not real goes into, like, oh, this is very fantasy all of a sudden and very, like, dante's inferno kind of cool yeah like demonic and scary and like psychological and it's very fun
0: Dante's I like inferno plus the paris catacombs is exactly what i want for my october yeah.
3: yeah it's very like spooky skeletons and demons and things nice yeah and it just got added to netflix and i forgot i saw it when it came out in the theater and i could like i remembered that i liked it but now that it's streaming i'm, I'm excited to re-watch it i didn't get a
0: chance to yet but it, I knew that it
3: would, it belongs on my list.
0: All right. So for October 3rd, I have this film called The Eyes of My Mother, which was released in 2016. This movie is all in black and white. And I remember it's in another language, but I can't remember what language. This is a movie that a friend of mine kept bugging me to watch. And she and I have very, very similar tastes in horror. So I, I knew I would like it, but I just didn't really have time to get around to it for a while. I and love this she, movie. yeah, you've seen it. I have. I think it's Spanish, I want to say. Yeah, I, I believe it is some form of Spanish. I knew it was some form of Latin, but I, I couldn't remember which. Oh, uh, it's Portuguese. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, she was bugging me every day. Have you watched it? Have you watched it? <laughs> I was <laughs> like, I will, I will get to it. Damn. <laughs> and then when I finally watched it, like I completely understood why she was so anxious for me to see it. It's about a young woman who grew up with her mother and father. Her mother died very tragically when she was very young and so she was raised by her father her mother died in front of her very tragically and you know it's it happens in the first 15 minutes so I'm just going to give it away that her mother dies by a home invasion right in front of her and yeah the little girl then becomes a little obsessed I would say with things of the macabre nature And she grows up in this very quiet country life with just her father out there. And as she gets older, her father gets older and she is very isolated and very lonely. And as she blossoms into a woman, and she has these weird, dark, macabre fantasies, and a very lonely, isolated life, it becomes very confusing and strange for her very fast. (laughs) So, very quickly became one of my favorite female villains, I will say that for sure. And I will warn you that there is some eye-related gore very early on. (laughs) But if I had known, I would have looked away. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That almost, that almost turned me off on watching the movie, but it, it does happen quickly, and it doesn't happen again. There is other gore, but, I mean, that was the one that was very front and center, I will say. But mm. I thought it was phenomenal. It was definitely not anything that I was expecting, and I can't really think of anything quite like it. So It's
1: really, really foreboding and and quiet and disturbing. I was just reading, it's definitely in Portuguese. And apparently, the three Portuguese speaking actors that in this movie all have different accents. Huh. Like one has a Brazilian accent, Lucy Francisca has a continental Portuguese accent, and Antonio has an Azorean accent. Interesting. And the movie that's playing in front of Grown Up Antonio is House on Haunted Hill. Oh, wow. you, hear the, you hear the voice of <laughs> Vincent Price in the movie. Which oh, really I'm cool. so
3: excited for the show that they're doing on Netflix of House on Haunted Hill. It's supposed to be good. I hope. I have high hopes.
1: That nice. looks really fun. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, this is a really
1: cool, like, art, art house horror film. I think it's, it's definitely worth seeing, Sierra.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. All right, Melissa, what's October 4th? October 4th, Crazy Head.
1: I talked about this one probably two years ago on the show, so I thought it was about time to remind everybody. And I'm just going (laughs) to say, I got to apologize for putting this on my list right now because I don't know how you're going to find it at this point. (laughs) I don't think it's on Netflix anymore, but I loved it so much and it's so underrated. Like, I never hear anybody talk about this show. So it's called Crazy Head. At the time, I did see it on Netflix. It's apparently been acquired by UK Netflix as of February of this year, so maybe if you're in the UK, you can still find it on Netflix. It's created by the same person who did The Misfits, the show The Misfits, uh, which was also a fun little UK, a little British show. There's only one season of it, unfortunately. I wish it had been on longer, but it's this really cool show about two women who are very unlikely people to Be friends. They come from very different lives and very different backgrounds. And they sort of end up inadvertently becoming very close friends because they figure out that both of them can see demons. (laughs) This is very much a comedy horror. It feels very like Shaun of the Dead without the cool sound effects. (laughs) Nice. It's fun. And the demons are sort of like, they just look like regular people. But these two women look at these people and you can see these like weird demon faces that are hidden underneath. It's very funny. It's very witty and it's very smart. It's a little, you know, the effects are a little cheesy, a little silly but it's super fun. And what I really love is that they they do a great job with these two female characters in this show where they're likable, but also not likable. There's a lot of things Mm -hmm. about them that you kind of think, okay, it's obvious why these two girls have kind of fucked up their lives and things aren't going well for them. (laughs) That's cool. I like
0: relatable characters.
1: Yeah, they're relatable. (laughs) Like they're not perfect, you know? But I love that they give them so much depth. Both of these characters have so much depth and watching their friendship kind of come together. it it sort of like stumbles and falls on top of itself. That's how it comes together. It's very awkward and it's very uncomfortable and weird, but it feels very real and very genuine. And I think they did a great job writing and, and delivering these two female characters, which is really rare in a TV show that, you know, two females that lead a silly kind of horror show like this both have so much depth so yeah it's a super fun show it's called crazy head and if you can find it you should watch it
3: yeah that sounds nice. awesome
1: it's <laughs> <laughs> kind of against our rules on the show we try to offer things that you can really find well but you know you guys are all smart you know how to pirate stuff and don't, mm-hmm. don't.
3: i feel like i know I've we're heard... not supposed to do that but <laughs> i've heard people talk about like you can change something. So that Netflix thinks you're in a different location, like in your computer, so that you could get the UK Netflix or something like that.
0: Use an onion router?
3: Yeah. I don't know how that works, though. But maybe somebody will Google it if they care. We'll save
0: that for our Mr. Robot podcast. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Sierra, what do you have for us for October 5th?
3: Staying on the horror comedy train. This is another Netflix streamable movie called Life After Beth and it stars our girl Aubrey Plaza um, nice. as the girlfriend of the actor Dane DeHaan who was in Cure for Wellness and Chronicle and the amazing Spider-Man. I want to say that this one came out right around Warm Bodies. Okay. We're like like zombie romance film and I like this one more than I liked Warm Bodies, I think. It also has John C. Reilly in it and Molly Shannon. Anna Kendrick is in it. It's a cool cast. It's about this young couple who are in love, you know. They go into through a little rough patch. And during that, the girlfriend dies. Beth dies. And so part of it is that the boyfriend is, like, having a really hard time because he doesn't want to, like, remember the relationship as this, like, bad point, you know. And then he sees Beth in her parents' house one day. And it turns out that they've been hiding her, but she's returned from the dead, (laughs) and they're just acting like it's fine. Um, (laughs) And so he's excited, (laughs) yeah. And so he's like, "Okay, cool. I get this like second chance to like make things right with her, but obviously she's a zombie." (laughs) And so it's about the problems of you know trying to date a zombie, and Aubrey Plaza is just super funny and awesome. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> it's yeah, like... it's great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like an early version of... What's that other one with you, Barrymore?
3: Uh, oh, the show. And Timothy the Timothy
1: Oliphant. Santa Clarita. Santa Clarita Diet. Diet. Yeah. Yeah, kind of like like it may have influenced that, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Except yeah. Except they're a married she's, couple in she's suburbia. She's a
1: little <laughs> bit
3: more, like, decaying and doesn't have control. <laughs> And it's like, I think other people like end up being zombies in the town
0: and everybody's like trying really hard to make it work and it's just not working. (laughs) October sixth pick is uh, another one that we've talked about before a couple of years ago, but I was reminded of it recently and it made me think about how great it was. It's the movie Hush which, mm-hmm. if I recall, was actually made by Netflix. But it it's one of those movies that really does horror attention so well. The way I describe this movie when other people ask about it is a deaf woman just wants to have a nice, relaxing night in in her uh, nice, beautiful cabin in the woods, and some random dude with a mask is not going to let that happen.
1: <sighs> Men.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Just want to be left alone. <laughs> the, the age-old question: Why are men just? <laughs> this is a, a home invasion film that really, really gets the tension right, and really does that very well in terms of where the fuck is this guy and where did he get that creepy mask? So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like the uh, the cast list for this is so simple. It's just the man. Maddie, John, Sarah, and Max. Yeah. He, he <laughs> yeah. doesn't have a name
0: besides the man. The man. <laughs> He's the man. The man. Yeah,
1: this was a cool one. I think you recommended it end of last year or something, or the year before, I don't remember. But you recommended it, and then I saw it, and it was it was really cool. There's it definitely an extra layer of uncomfortable knowing that the person you know that you're watching being terrorized can't hear anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of fear of like, oh, God, you can't like, how do you even know what's happening? But she does well for herself.
0: <laughs> yeah. And this was one of those films where the victim being terrorized is actually smart, uh-huh. which is yeah. just a little too <laughs> rare in horror for my taste. <laughs> she,
1: she at least makes choices that make some sense, right? Yeah. You're like, oh, yeah. OK, I, she, she, that might
0: not work, but I can see where she's going with it. She's got some common sense. She's yeah. got... Yeah, got some brains, wits to her there. I honestly don't even remember if it works out for her in the end. I'm going to watch it again and root for her, though. (laughs) (laughs) But I do remember the tension being wonderful in it. Okay, so October 7th,
1: I'm going to talk about another old show that I'm sure a lot of people have already seen, but I think it's one that everyone should be seeing. So I want to make sure nobody missed it. And that is
0: Hannibal. Those visuals, man. Yeah. Right.
1: Like oh. I didn't realize until recently how much Hannibal had kind of set the bar for me for mm-hmm. future TV shows. Now I kind of especially intros every time I see intros now on on Netflix or on AMC. And I was just saying to my husband, you know, like, AMC has really nailed the, like, super stylistic, artsy intros to these shows. And I think it started with Hannibal, really. Hannibal is developed by Brian Fuller. It was on NBC. And it is visually stunning. The writing is complex and really engaging. It's the kind of TV series that can't stop watching because while you get a new murder or a new mystery per episode, it also has this ongoing relationship building and
0: story progression that that keeps one episode connected to the next i swear brian fuller just wakes up and asks himself what kind of award do i want to win today (laughs) (laughs) it's really interesting too and i think it stands out a lot because when this
1: show was being developed and people started talking about it you know it's really hard to step up after anthony hopkins plays hannibal the cannibal it's got to be really tough for anybody to step into those shoes and i think this put mads mickelson on the map like Not only did he pull off Hannibal really well, but he kind of recreated Hannibal in in a way that works for him. His accent, who he is as an actor, you know, his age in the film. There's so many amazing characters in this. Hugh Dancy, who plays Will Graham, I think is just like, I don't know, I kind of fell in love with him. He's so (laughs)
3: handsome.
1: (laughs) He's so handsome. He struggles so hard, he's so damaged. Yeah, he's, he's... But he's also so kind and full of love for everybody. Yeah, I just really wanted him to win and to be okay <laughs> at the end. There's no winning when you're dealing with Hannibal, but, you know, I wanted him to be okay. I feel like you could pause at any point in this show and have a beautiful piece of art to put on your wall. <laughs> yeah, for real anywhere (laughs) whether you want some gorgeous like cooking imagery (laughs) whether (laughs) he wants some beautiful horror imagery whether you just want a a screen full of beautiful faces like you could just stop this anywhere and you'll get one of those and i think the relationship building in this show was really like set the bar so much higher for tv shows Mm -hmm. watching will and hannibal's relationship grow and change and Mutate into weird places. You know, watching Alana Bloom, who was one of the psychologists who had a relationship with both Will and Hannibal. All of these people, like everybody in here, had these kind of really complex relationships that were constantly like tree branches, just like going off in different directions. And Jillian Anderson came back and we got to see her play a really cool psychotherapist. So everybody in the world should see Hannibal.
3: Did you guys see Jillian Anderson's line of clothing that she just came out with?
0: No, but I no. saw that oh picture of her God. as Morticia.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. The Morticia photo is so good. She came yeah. out with this like clothing line where it's just like badass business bitch is going to go get shit done and look really nice. good doing it.
0: <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Jillian <laughs> Anderson only gets better with agents. She's so good. Yeah. I just want to be her.
3: My next one is a movie called The Void. This is one that I had wanted to see for a while because the poster art was really cool, and I just kept, like, sleeping on it and putting it off. And so I finally watched it for this list. It was really fun. It had very John Carpenter's The Thing influences. The practical effects are really cool, and the monsters are really cool. They're very, like, slimy and like grotesque and it's very like body horror kind of genre plus these like crazy weird unsettling cultists so we just really start hp lovecraft episodes and it's definitely in that vein it's one of those things that's like now that i know more about lovecraft oh that's absolutely influenced by lovecraft (laughs) And it's really fun. It's about this guy. He's a kind of rookie police officer. And he ends up in this hospital, trapped with some patients and some people who he's, like, arrested.
1: That's how all the best horror (laughs) movies start. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Trapped in a hospital. Yeah, and
3: they have to lock themselves (laughs) in this hospital because they are surrounded by these creepy-ass cultists in, like, robes with triangle faces. Mm. Nice. One person dies, and they're like leave their they leave her body and then they come back and realize that it's all grown into this terrible monster
0: that's not what you want yeah yeah
3: (laughs) and so then it kind of like goes off the rails from there the ending is a little bit weird and it kind of took me out of it there's this main guy who's very like i am the god
0: of all things and i will tell you my whole plan my (laughs) evil plan i will explain it all to you so he's got a Scooby Doo <laughs> com- complex going on.
2: Yeah,
3: and, and like he took me out of it, but the visuals were super cool. The movie
0: does the poster art justice, is what I'm trying to say. Okay, so from what I remember of like art and screen caps from this movie, it kind of had like a very 80s kind of aesthetic yeah, going for on. Does sure. that carries on through the movie as well?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And the okay, very cool. opening scene kind of reminds me of, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre a little bit. Right on. You get a little snippet of a scene of these people who clearly are trying to fight the monster. And they're, like, killing some, like, young teenagers. And you're like, oh, these are the bad guys. And then it's like, just kidding. They were killing the teenagers because the teenagers were possessed by these terrible monsters. Nice. Then they kind of, like, their storylines connect pretty quickly. And then it opens up to all these kind of, I am a demigod kind of thing it was super fun to watch in the background while i was doing work from home last week jackie
1: yo are we talking tales from the crypt next
0: we sure are okay (laughs) (laughs) we're going back to the 90s for october 9th i don't feel so bad about throwing in some old stuff now (laughs) oh god no no (laughs) so october 9th is Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight. And there are like two people on Earth that appreciate this movie as much as I do. And that is my BFF Blue and our buddy Jacob Strong. And I'm pretty sure he only likes it because he kind of looks like Breaker, the main character. <laughs> it's a little bit cheesy. I mean, if you're going into a Tales from the Crypt movie not expecting a little cheese, then you're. Just, i don't know what the fuck you're doing with your life
1: your expectations are off <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah you're at the wrong party i guess demon knight is one of these movies that i saw when i was like i had to have been like 12 and it has stuck with me and really kind of shaped my love of horror all of my life and it is still forever one of my favorite horror films and it is so stupid and amazing and i love it i love the cheesy effects of the demons when they shoot out the eyes I fucking love the practical costumes the practical effects of the actual demons walking around. If You've never seen this movie. It is literally about a demon knight chasing down a demon hunter trying to get a key back to bring darkness to the world. They're like out in a desert in a defunct church. There's, of course, a prostitute involved and, you know, a stupid little kid involved that fucks things up because, you know, you can't. (laughs) You typical. can't have a story like that with that one. A badass who wants to shoot everything up. You know, the typical old horror movie tropes going on there. What's especially wonderful about this is you get to see a young Jada Pinkett Smith, before she got annoying, be an <laughs> utter and complete badass, and a young Billy Zane back when he was actually kind of hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is the eponymous character. He is the Demon Knight, and he's actually pretty fucking cool in this and I don't care who wants to give me shade about this, but Demonite is the most awesome horror movie. And if anybody else agrees, you can at me on Twitter and we can be best friends about this. But if you disagree, <laughs> don't at me. <laughs>
3: yeah,
0: don't at me about
3: this. Or I'll fight you. don't
1: want to hear about it. <laughs> don't want to hear about it.
0: <laughs> don't want to hear about it. <laughs>
1: Just awake, here we go. Oh man, time to break out the comic books. Okay. Time to break out the comics. I want to start this off with Gideon Falls from Jeff Lemire. And art is from Andrea Sorrentino. This is an image publication. And this is, I think it's still ongoing. I am admittedly a little bit behind on this one. I have to catch up, but. We have nine issues. Yeah, so it's got to be ongoing right now. We've got nine issues going on. This is a really great thing because Jeff Lemire, if you're familiar with his writing, tends to write things that are a little bit more tender, kind of human studies. He does kind of get like a little kind of weird and mystical sometimes. But my favorite stuff from him has always been like the fantasy element with like studies of like the human condition and like it's it's always got a big heart and so he's very tender and makes you weep a little bit. Gideon Falls is not that story. It is a really creepy kind of rural mystery, urban horror combined. It's about this reclusive man who digs around in the city's trash because he believes he's uncovering some kind of conspiracy, collecting things in there. And then there is also a washed up Catholic priest who is sent to this small town to take over when their priest dies unexpectedly he starts very quickly discovering these like dark and weird secrets going on in this town these are kind of parallel stories running alongside each other which you discover are connected by the common thread of a really creepy black barn that appears Blah. and disappears Blah. in random places awesome. and there's people in both of these stories who have their own experiences with this black barn when it appears it's very creepy it, it every time it shows up it's sort of makes you feel like you're seeing this thing like in a tv screen but you're not watching tv it's really (laughs) unsettling so it's it's a it's a very complex very layered story but right off the bat what i love about this is that from issue number one it makes it very clear that this is going to be a horror story this is going to creep the fuck out of you and you don't know what's going on right away so it really kind of pulls you in so you have to keep reading and reading and i'm just really impressed with this i think it's a great attempt at horror from jeff lemire it's a great way of using his skills of complex story writing the art style is really really sketchy and like dirty and kind of grimy looking most of the time and it, it really creates this kind of feeling of like where you're never quite sure if you're seeing something that someone's imagining or dreaming or if you're seeing like a real reality moment happening mm-hmm. so it's very discombobulating i love this that vibe story Yeah, but it's really cool. It reminds me a little bit, uh, actually, maybe it's the appearing and reappearing house, but Channel Zero, it has that kind of like weird, surreal vibe to it. Nice. Super cool series. And you guys can start, got nine issues. So you can binge this for a a night or a day and be caught up with it and, and keep reading. Because I think this one is going to go for a little while. And I think it's only going to get better because that's what Jeff Lemire does. He builds really big stories.
0: Sarah, what you got for the
3: 11th? The 11th is the other horror comedy that I chose. This one's called Game Night. It's directed by John Francis Daly from Freaks and Geeks. And it has Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams in it. You mean the the little one? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) also sweets from bones (laughs) oh i love him (laughs) he's so good (laughs) it's about this group of friends and this one couple is very into their game nights which like i can relate to (laughs) and then their group of friends that humor them and the jason bateman's brother shows up and he's like the successful one that everybody likes and so he tries to like upstage him by throwing this amazing game night at his mansion and at this crazy
0: you know there's always that guy
3: i know and he basically hires like a company that fake kidnaps people like you know those like experiences that are kind of almost like the haunted houses where you have to like sign waivers for right and so it turns into that right and everybody's just like oh haha ha. very funny and then it turns out that it's all real <laughs> it's a black comedy it's very like getting into crime and it's gory and stuff it's not like supernatural horror or anything but it definitely gets into some violence and that kind of thing it was just really really fun to watch and I was expecting it to be kind of a dumb comedy but I really liked the Style and the script was really good so if we need a breath of fresh air on the 11th before we get real deep into october <laughs> real deep into the horror game night
0: we have this one at home and we have not a chance to watch it yet it's I'm so looking fun forward to it. that's some good timing for a good comedy breather too
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> gonna need it after gideon falls <laughs> <laughs>
0: October 12th has a little bit of comedy thrown into it's the fright night remake with David Tennant. Mm -hmm. The 2011 remake starring Colin Farrell and Anton Yelchin. I actually saw this with my parents-in-law before they were parents-in-law father-in-law like sleeps through movies. So he's like in the theater, just snoring (laughs) away. And it was hilarious. (laughs) But but, uh, this is one of those cases where I actually really loved the remake of something. And I can't believe how good Colin Farrell is at being a vampire but this has a lot of great humor thrown into it and David Tennant as a douchebag magician will never cease to amuse me <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> he did it so naturally <laughs> he, he did
0: there's <laughs> a lot of
1: great people in this there's also Tony Collette who's going to yeah. be in another movie we talk
0: about later yeah and, and Imogen Poots who's making a yep. name for herself now and although, Christopher Mintz Plass although uh, honestly I, I can't understand why she didn't choose a different stage name image and boots <laughs> and honestly i am a complete sucker for anything david Tennant does so maybe i'm a little bit biased there but no he's just amazing mm-hmm. but yeah i actually re-watched this earlier today because i don't know i like having movies on in the background while i work and it still holds up the vampire vampire killer still very solid this is the kind of film you don't have to take too seriously so it's nice for a good breather in the middle of the month there and Absolutely fun for October.
1: I miss Anton Yelchin.
0: Yeah, he had such a bright career ahead of him. David Tennant is going to be at New York Comic Con this year. Oh my God, can you kidnap him for me? I'm going to, I mean, uh, well no, I, but I will try really hard to get a picture taken. Don't support <laughs> kidnapping at all. No, never. <laughs>
1: I'm going to try. I'm going to try to get my picture taken. I think Colin Farrell is often underrated. I think his alcoholic bad boy behavior has overshadowed his skill. I agree. There's been a few things I've seen him in that I thought, damn, he is really, he's really a good actor when he's given something really
0: good to work with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there are some actors in Hollywood that I feel are kind of judged on their looks a little harshly in that, like, if they are particularly attractive, people assume, well, they're only getting so far in their career because they look good. And I think he's one of those people.
1: In Bruges is one of the best movies. Fucking that's love kind of, In Bruges. <laughs> I know. That's kind of one of our, like, when people argue with us that Colin Farrell's not a great actor, we're like, you need to see In Bruges and then tell me <laughs> yeah. he's not Sit a great down. actor. <laughs> yeah. Right. And Phone Booth, too. I don't know if you guys remember that. Oh, yeah. I, don't, but, I haven't yeah. seen that one. That was really impressive. I mean, he basically carried an entire film from inside of a phone booth.
0: Oh. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Just talking to somebody. I thought he did a great job with it. So, <laughs> well, what you got for the 13th, Melissa?
1: October 13th, I have something really cool to tell you guys about, and I don't think I've talked about this one before, so this is going to be a surprise. You guys are going to dig this. It is a series called Infidel, and don't laugh, but it's written by Pornchak Picochet. I know. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I believe he's Filipino. It's <laughs> that's his actual name. <laughs> the art is done by Aaron Campbell. This is a really cool story. It's so unique. It's a modern day haunted house story, but it's about an American Muslim woman and her multiracial neighbors who move into a building that is haunted by entities that feed off of xenophobia. Nice. There's this like underlying story of this Muslim woman who has to deal with her mother-in-law's living with her. She has a little daughter, and the mother-in-law is racist and trying to. Perse- Pretend that she's not and she has some issues with this woman being with her son this kind of tension between them is what sort of brings the spirits to show themselves and various things happen in this building it kind of starts with this poor woman who's just trying to deal with some trauma in her life and just trying to like you know be a good mom the neighbors start getting nosy and like think every time crazy things happen different stories from different people in the building it becomes obvious that some of them are heavily influenced by some biased opinions of her because of Mm -hmm. her being a Muslim. It's really cool. It's really interesting and unique story that they figure out how to tie this very classic foreboding ghost story into a real-life horror that is xenophobia. The artwork in this will have you, like, not sleeping at night. It's fucking terrifying. I think it's really hard to portray ghosts in comic books and have it feel really scary. Mm -hmm. But when they show up, I mean, it's kind of, like, disembodied faces and, like, limbs, like a weird leg. There, there's a... <laughs> Yeah, there's like, there's a uh, there's a panel of like her laying in bed and she starts hearing sounds and there's this nasty like ghost leg and foot that's like twisted oh, no. and misshapen and, <laughs> and it's like over the top of her leg and like draping over her and oh, it just like gives you willies. It's just so gross. And awesome. these faces that just kind of like show up like in holes and in dark spots, you know, like it's kind of that feeling of you open up a cabinet and you might see something in the corner. There's always things like coming from behind and like sneaking out of shadows and like coming from places that you're not looking it's so unsettling it's one of the all-time best horror series of this year i guarantee it's probably going to be on our talking comics like best of we do like an end of the year thing where we do a big awards thing and we nominate for the best series and this one's definitely going to be on there
0: sounds incredible
1: and that's from image comics by the way i'm such an image fan girl <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right see here. what day are we on october 14th oh
3: the 14th speaking of Haunted houses. My next one is called Haunters, the Art of the Scare. And it is a documentary about haunted houses and the people who create them and put them on. And it's mostly around the guy Russ McCamey, who does McCamey Manor which we were just talking about the Dark Tourist series. And in that one... Hate that guy. I know. Well, it's all about him, basically. <laughs> Hate and that guy And how he, so like, much. torments people and tortures them. So if you watch Dark Tourist and you want to know more about that, it's a, it also talks about the folks who kind of started that experience, experiential, like you have to sign a waiver and there's no safe word kind of thing. The first people who did that, I think in New York. And then the kind of tension between people who are trying to do this very extreme psychological torture kind of horror house. And then also the people who are trying to keep up the tradition of, just like this is the community haunted house and it's fun and safe and you walk through and you see the scary things and it's it's all very wholesome people who are kind of like riding the line in between it and it's really cool to see just all of the resources that go into this stuff there's people who their marriage is a little bit on the rocks because he's spending so much money on this haunted house and spending so much time doing it and it's it's really interesting to see the personalities behind all of these haunted houses
0: melissa does it make you feel any better to know that the cost to go through the McKamey house is actually a donation to dogs in need
1: yeah sure it does i mean i just i think he's just he's a straight so up weird. sadist i know Yeah, he
0: totally is
1: i think it gives him a good excuse to abuse people in ways that he is not legally allowed to abuse people normally mm-hmm. Unless
0: in fairness. he does tell
1: people <laughs> you don't want to do this He totally Mm -hmm. gives me the creeps and not in a good way. Like, I just don't think he's... I don't think he's a good person. He's (laughs) creepy as fuck, but... Yeah. Yeah.
3: This documentary has Jason Bloom on as a talking head doing some interviews. So they talk to, like, people in the horror film industry, too, about haunted houses and doing the kind of creature creation and all the makeup and stuff
0: speaking of i have been watching so much horror over the past couple of months in preparation for this episode and i swear like 90 percent of it has been produced by bloomhouse i don't know what the hell I they're know. doing over there but fuck <laughs> seriously this next one i fought melissa for and won <laughs> 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 no. uh, i mean to be fair i didn't fight very hard Yeah, that's true. (laughs) October 15th is Pan's Labyrinth, which I think we all love. This is one that a lot of horror fans will probably contest, saying that it's not actual horror, but I feel like those people just need more whimsy in their lives. So
1: I think you can fight me over that. I'm
0: ready. (laughs) Take them down. I actually rewatched this one as well. It had been too long. And really, if you want to go and say that this is not actually horror, then you should really just go and rewatch this because there are some very horrific moments in this that I feel make it really very horror. I recently learned that there are some very allegorical moments that like in this movie to the Spanish civil war and not just the actual setting, because it literally is set in the Spanish civil war. For instance, when Ophelia, meets the pale man with all of his dripping skin and fingers and stuff is a representation of the church and the church's role in the Spanish Civil War. Mm-hmm. There's actually a lot a, a whole lot surrounding the pale man specifically. For instance, the his seat at the banquet table there and His world is the exact same seat that Captain Fidel, Ophelia's new stepfather, takes at the dinner that he has. He is specifically a representation of Franco's fascists in that way. So the specific placement of the pale man and the captain is related in that way to represent fascists. The whole fact that the pale man has a massive buffet in front of him, but doesn't touch that. Instead, you see pictures of him eating children behind him is a representation of Saturn eating his children. And like the
3: Goya painting.
0: Yeah, exactly. And Catholic Church has all of these riches around them, but instead feeds on children. Mm-hmm. And the Ooh. imagery of the eyes on the pale man's plate before he puts them in his hands, which, by the way, disgusting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> in case is, you didn't
3: know, it's nasty. yes, just,
0: <laughs> just in case you needed to be reminded, is a direct visual link to Saint Lucia, who is often depicted to show her connection with light as holding a plate with two eyes on it. Hmm. There's a lot more to it there, but there's actually an interview with Guillermo de Toro going into a lot of these allegorical references, and it's fascinating. Honestly, I'm going to send you guys a link so that you can Mm -hmm. read a little more on it but this is actually why i fought melissa on this is because i actually fell down a rabbit hole on this but the whole entire thing is incredibly fascinating another thing i want to mention here is that duck jones who is amazing amazing monster man duck jones is just so fucking incredible he plays both the fawn and the pale man in this And if you don't know Doug Jones's name, but you watch a lot of horror, then you should learn Doug Jones's (laughs) fucking name. Because he is... You've seen him so many times. You've seen him so many times. And he is... It's like like how Margot Martindale went on BoJack Horseman, and now everybody (laughs) knows her fucking name, even though you've seen her for decades and never knew her name before. But Doug Jones, like, he was in The Strain. He was in Hellboy. He was in... He was... Guarantee he's been in like at least a dozen movies that you've seen before. He is that tall, thin man that can fit into any incredible costume that you see in these wild monster movies. And he is just incredible in every fucking role I've seen him in.
1: Doug Jones does the perfect, like, monster who you want to hug yeah, and (laughs) care for. Yeah. You know, he somehow can create, like, the most gooey, nasty, wriggly-looking monster. Well, maybe not the pale man. I wouldn't want to hug him. No. But, you know, most of the monsters he creates are ones that, like, you're not really sure if you're horrified or terrified of them or if you just, or if they just really need to be loved, you know?
0: (laughs) I think part of his charm or part of his uh, skill is that he can go back and forth between this monster that you are absolutely terrified of or this monster you want to hug. He was, I don't, I know you guys aren't really Buffy fans, but he was the smiling man in Buffy Mm -hmm. and oh God, oh, that, that hit me right where it hurts to see that. He was also, wasn't he the fish monster? Yes. In Hellboy. Yeah, he was Abe Sapien in Hellboy. Well, I was thinking the most recent. Oh, Shape, uh, of, yes. water. Yeah, Shape yeah, of Water. Yeah, Shape of, of Water. Yeah, that's him yeah. too. So and he, was going the, to...
3: he was the crookedy man in Conjuring
0: too. Oh, yeah. And he's going to be in the What We Do in the Shadows <gasps> TV oh, hell series. Oh, yeah. Yay. He's going to be Count Orlock in Nosferatu coming up. Oh, I nice. mean, <laughs> Doug Jones, like, is if you're into horror, he's just a name that you need to know. Show that man some respect. Mm.
1: I've actually fallen down a rabbit hole on Pan's Labyrinth before. I think I've done it on pretty much all Guillermo del Toro movies. (laughs) Guillermo del Toro was doing Easter eggs before Easter eggs were a thing. Yeah. He just, he loves to like put like little nods to all of the mythology and the history and the terror that he loves inside of what he creates. One of the things that makes him so endearing as a, as a creator is that he Mm -hmm. is, he's really just a giant super fan. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. October 16th. We're almost, we are halfway through the month. Okay. <laughs> Clean Room. This is when I keep telling you guys that we're going to cover on the show and we haven't gotten to it yet. <laughs> so we're going to talk about it again so I can remind everybody of how incredible this book is. Clean Room is a series under vertigo that is written by Gail Simone and the artist by John Davis Hunt. Both of those people are incredible at what they do. I was really excited about this because I hadn't had a lot of experience in horror with Gail Simone up until this, but man, does she rock it. I'll just read the kind of premise for you. Astrid Mueller is an enigmatic and compelling guru of a giant self-help organization. She's a devastatingly powerful figure in the industry between psychology and religion. There's a journalist named Chloe Pierce whose fiancé picked up Astrid's book and within three months he was dead. Something in Astrid Mueller's book made Philip blow his brains out all over Chloe's new kitchen. How rude. (laughs) Now, Chloe is on a mission to find out who Astrid Mueller really is, what is this clean room she's been hearing about, and where your deepest fears and worst moments are revealed. It's kind of like Scientology. (laughs) (laughs) is <laughs> it, uh-huh. it just it really feels like to Scientology I'm pretty sure that that's what Gail Simone was writing about here Scientology but then when Chloe eventually connects with Astrid things go into all kinds of weird like I'm talking like body horror alien stuff weird psychological trips into people's worst memories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the clean room is this kind of white laboratory space where Astrid forces people to relive their most horrible moments and biggest fears and it's just, she fucks with people's heads on a, a really ultimate level. It's really, really interesting. It's a re- It's very creepy. It's weird because a lot of the horror stuff that we talk about, especially the stuff that I like to talk about, is very dark and gothic right it's it's in like creepy underworld places and like mm-hmm. everything is literally dark and very gray clean room is interesting because everything's always very bright it's bright it's horror like out in the sunlight and in these really like sterile clean spaces which is a really different kind of play on horror yeah it's cool it's like Scientology the aliens came back and we're <laughs> really unhappy about things that we have
3: done here that sounds like <laughs> like aliens
1: yeah (laughs) yeah i think sierra you will love this one because of the weird alien aspects to it Mm -hmm. i think jackie will love this one because it's got some really really cool like mind fuck psychological stuff going on nice it's got a little bit for all of us in here and one thing that gail simone does really really well is she builds incredible female characters Oh like yeah. hard as nails female characters that you feel very convinced are just like people that you do not ever want to run into or cross paths with. <laughs> so yeah, it's a really amazing book. It's finished, it's wrapped, so you can binge it. I don't think I don't know if you'll be able to binge it in one night. There's quite a bit of it out there, but it's definitely it's gonna keep you moving forward. Oh, and there's covers in this from Jenny Fursan, who's one of my all time favorite cover artists in comics, especially with horror comics.
3: I'm excited for when I eventually read that gonna be good i love it yep my next one for what is it the 17th. 17th the movie house of the devil this is directed by ty west he did the innkeepers another movie i talked about on here called the sacrament which is like kind of based on jonestown and it's like a found footage documentary type this movie house of the devil i was thinking about the whole time that i was watching hereditary it has that same kind of like vibe to it as far as getting into Satanism and kind of witchcrafty, spooky, real people getting into the supernatural. It's about a babysitter who takes his babysitting job at this really creepy old house. Of course, the parents are super weird and uncomfortable and they don't really do anything wrong, but they like really push the boundaries and like make you uncomfortable, but you can't exactly put your finger on why they're uncomfortable. And it's based in the 80s and it kind of hits that like satanic panic on the babysitter takes this job the same night that there's this like big eclipse like with weird stuff going on with the moon and so that turns into some like supernatural witchcraft kind of stuff well that's obviously why they needed a sitter right yeah she very (laughs) quickly turns into a possible sacrifice
0: (laughs) (laughs) there's an eclipse
1: tonight date night
0: I've seen yes, this one and fine. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. It's so like exactly when you like imagine satanic cults and things like that. It's like all of that imagery is like exactly what this movie is. It's very satisfying in that way.
1: I love how much they revived the fair faucet 70s flip.
3: Mm-hmm. In this,
1: <laughs> There's a lot of good hair in this movie.
3: Yeah. It's a fun one. And I really like Ty West. I think he does cool movies.
0: Yeah. So October 18th. This is actually my entry here that I'm most excited about. This is The Summer of '84, which happens to be the exact time frame I was born. And stop counting. I'm I'm still young enough to not have wrinkles. Let's just <laughs> let's just move on there. I knew absolutely nothing about this movie going in. I hadn't even heard about it. I don't know why. It came out October 10th. It just happened to be on our home server here. And I asked my husband about it. And he's like, "Yeah, I don't know. I saw it on some list somewhere and people were saying it was good." So neither of us knew anything about this going in. And I don't want to give too much away, but I Yeah, I'm gonna, please don't. Yeah. I'm <laughs> this gonna, is on our server too, and we haven't had a chance to watch it yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some very, very broad strokes because seriously I, I want this to be the kind of thing you guys go in very fresh on. A lot of disappearances going on in this eighties set nice neighborhood in the suburbs, and a group of teenage friends spend their summer just kind of wondering what the hell's going on. The first half or maybe two thirds of the movie feels so very Steven Spielberg and it's like in a very perfect way. Not, you know, the kind of ripping off or, you know, wannabe kind of way, but in a very perfect wonderful kind of way and the soundtrack to this movie is so phenomenal like we're gonna have to find it that kind of phenomenal <laughs> this film does take an incredibly dark twist the way it does so is so incredibly artistically done that i am still reeling over how well it's done and i i watched this like two weeks ago and i'm like i kind of want to go back already and watch it again because it is so fucking well done okay I'm not going to tell you guys any more on this because I really want you guys to watch this and then tell me what you think of it. But this is hands down the best horror movie I've seen this year. And that does include things like Hereditary and A Quiet Place and such. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: It was very unexpected. I loved it.
3: Oh, I'm so excited now. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah, we haven't had a lot of time to watch movies, which is why I said, can we please open this up to comics this year? (laughs) But this is on our server, too. So we'll be seeing it eventually. October 19th. All right, guys, we can't talk about horror comics without talking about witches. And I know that we covered this on the show, but I think that, you know, it's been long enough ago
0: now right that we can talk about it again I'm gonna be real with you Melissa I saw this on your list and was like damn lady we had a whole episode devoted to it but (laughs) it is is so good like
1: it's so good and I feel like I feel like there's probably new people so I mean that was that was I don't know if that was last year or the year before yeah
0: it was a really long time ago
1: it was a long time ago so I feel like we probably have new people on the show that at this point that haven't heard us talk about it so I'm gonna talk about it So it's written by Scott Snyder. The art is by Jock, and this started back in 2014 on Image Comics, of course. And it is an amazing, amazing take on the classic creepy witch genre. These witches that sort of live like in and under trees they kind of become part of the trees. Sometimes, when something happens, someone can pledge someone to the witches. Once you pledge someone, then the witches will hunt and get that person. There's no taking and it back. No, and you can't take it back. You can't escape them. And they are just horrid. They are these nasty, creepy, like ancient things that come out of the woods and out of this out of the trees. And they make this terrible, like clicking kind of what's the sound that they do? They're like a, Yeah, like a t- like little clicky sounds when they're hunting, which always reminded me of, do you guys remember in The Dark Crystal, the sounds that like those giant beetles make when they run around? Ooh, yeah. Like the little clickies. This book has some of the scariest imagery I've seen in in horror comics. It's got one of the scariest kind of interpretations of witches that I've seen before. And it's got a really heart-rending kind of tender family story. Behind it, too. That'll just make you cry. It's a beautiful, beautiful series, and it's probably in my top like maybe three or four favorite horror series in comics. So we had to talk about it, and it's witches.
0: I think this was the second series that Melissa's made us read, right? I think so. I don't know.
3: Yeah, that sounds right.
0: It was wonderful, but. I happen to be on a cruise in the middle of the Caribbean (laughs) reading this series. (laughs) And it's, like, so nice and sunny and all kinds of fun and drinks and such. And I'm reading this, like horrific tale in a comic book and it was just not, didn't really <laughs> fit position. together that well
2: yeah <laughs> is this is
0: better a better
1: thing to read like read it when you go camping
2: oh yeah. jesus don't do that it yeah.
0: sounds, <laughs> sounds like a bad idea <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's an awesome idea and like i said i have some goodies for you guys and i wanted to tell you that this has been continuing but it's been continuing in this sort of little magazine that's put out that's kind of offers like snippets of lots of different books so it's an interesting way that scott snyder has decided to release more of this called image plus magazine Hmm. and so they've been collecting little mini issues of the story of witches and continuing it in there but october 31st there will be witches bad egg halloween special
2: oh shit
1: yeah which is a one shot it's a one shot 13 page conclusion to the story that's been continued i think you can read bad egg by itself without having seen the rest of it wait there's two i'm sorry i'm i'm saying this wrong there's the halloween special which is a one shot then there's volume two the second trade bad egg which is also coming out
3: oh nice even more
1: that will wrap up all of the stories that have been published in the image plus magazine so you can see like where witches went after we finished it and then you can also get the halloween special
3: My next one, I am very surprised that this wasn't on our first two years of list. I actually
0: went back and checked because I was like, surely we talked about I that. I know. Right?
3: It's VHS. <laughs> And everybody knows that I'm a sucker for a found footage movie and also anthologies. And this one, they do a pretty good job at making the found footage kind of make sense in the story, the grand scheme of things. These people are breaking into a house where they shouldn't be and they find all these videotapes and they start watching them and there's all these horrific stories on there. And it reminds me a lot of the short stories and like horror anthologies that I read and like devoured when I was growing up before I like spent all of my time on the internet back when I read (laughs) books and it's just so much fun so this is one that like you could just watch VHS or if you want to make a whole night of it you can watch all like three or four of them however many they've made I think they did three and then they did like VHS viral or something And that one wasn't very good, but at least the first couple are super solid and so unsettling and weird. And it's a good mix of the different kind of
0: subgenres in horror. It's a wonderful indie film in general. Yeah, it's so much fun. So for October 21st, I would like to tell you guys how I make pizza at home. Would you like to hear about that?
3: (laughs) Are you going to make us pizza on the 21st?
0: Yeah, sure. Do you want to hear about it, though?
3: Hell yeah.
0: Okay, so when I make pasta, first of all, I like to make the sauce and put, like, just a ridiculous amount of fresh veggies in it and, like, some sliced up sweet Italian sausage, like fennel sausage, you know. And then I I make extra sauce so that I can use that sauce to make some flatbread pizza. Mm -hmm. You know, you get the flatbread. And I put, like... Like some dank oil on it with like herbs and shit and like fresh garlic going on, you know? And then I slathered in that sauce. Oh, fuck yeah. Like you got to get the good oil. I'm talking. Okay. And then you slather in that sauce and then you put like fresh mozzarella on top. I'm not, I'm not talking Uh about like that shredded shit that you get, you know, like fresh (laughs) mozzarella. Okay. And so when I watched this next movie, which is called Upgrade, I had some fresh. Homemade pizza for this. There was a pizza night. So we made some pizza and we sat down and watched this movie Upgrade. And I swear this all connects because the movie Upgrade, like my delicious, amazing homemade pizza, had yeah. a wonderful cheese factor to it. <laughs> Stop
1: talking about
0: food.
2: <laughs> it was
3: worth it though, right? <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> Setting them up and knocking them down. <laughs>
1: Just, I had to run away for a few seconds. I missed what you were talking about, <laughs> but I, I, I found the mouse. Oh, no. <gasps> oh, no. Is oh, he finally gone? I just had to pick him up off the floor oh, of our God. bathroom down oh. here. Um oh. and. Some of his pieces were not in his body anymore. Oh, gross. God. I and came then you, back and jumped it, back on and here then, after cleaning that up just, then just then he, to hear Jackie talk about mozzarella cheese and oh, pizza. God. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel really barfy right now. <laughs> yes.
0: Okay. I now well, know what
1: mouse intestines look like. <laughs> well,
0: let me, let me tell you about this guy dismembering people. <laughs>
2: <Okay>. <laughs> oh,
0: gross. <laughs> my my bathroom looks like a horror scene right now (laughs) oh jesus christ (laughs) okay so upgrade in the near future this technophobe gets in a horrific car accident where his wife dies and shit and he ends up being a quadriplegic and the Hmm. only thing that seems to save him is computer chip which gets embedded in the back of his neck and controls his body for him of course this goes well for him right Yeah, I don't trust it. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't doesn't go well for him at all. This is uh, kind of like on the fence of horror. It is very much an action movie in a lot of points, but the way it wraps around is very much horror. So this is definitely landing on our list for that reason. And plus, because of the pizza. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of great comedy in this, and it's definitely the kind of movie that you can watch to shake up some of this more horrific horror. And I very much recommend eating pizza while watching it.
3: I wish I had some pizza right now.
0: <laughs> I'm
1: going to barf.
3: <laughs> Before all you do think, that,
1: tell us about Nailbiter. All biter. I can think about are those little mouse intestines. <laughs> poor mouse. <laughs> Nailbiter. <laughs> talk about things that make you want to barf i have not told you guys about this one i don't think yet either this is from image comics and this is a completed series so you can binge the hell out of it so Nailbiter was out in 2014 it's written by joshua williamson and the artist by mike henderson nice. and buckaroo oregon gave birth <laughs> to 16 of the vilest serial killers in the world An obsessed FBI profiler investigating the town has suddenly gone missing, and now an NSA agent must work with the notorious serial killer Edward Nailbiter Warren to find his friend and solve the mystery of where do serial killers come from.
0: I gotta stop you there. (laughs) Is Nailbiter his middle name or his nickname?
1: It's his nickname. Okay. Yeah, just, I just wonder had how to we got that
0: one.
1: And there's a <laughs> there's a great quote on here from Scott Snyder, the writer of Witches, who we just nice. talked about, uh, says, "If Josh died, I wish he'd leave Nailbiter to me in his will, so I could say it was my idea." <laughs> <laughs> It's a lovely, like, murder mystery series all about this tiny little town in Oregon that has a, more than its first share of serial killers that have come out of it. I know Jackie's got an eyeball thing, but there's some pretty Ugh. gruesome covers for this series of, like, fingers being chewed the off. Is and...
3: eyeball one?
1: No, no, okay. that's colder. <laughs> okay. No, this one's all about God. fingers. It's, like, oh. all kinds of, like, nasty yeah this dude's just like chewing his fingers all the time like nails ripping off fingers being chewed on and like crunchy nails like kind of oh god splitting and falling apart yeah fuck. (laughs) (laughs) it's a really fun series because it's like you know you get that feeling of like true crime serial killer thing where you get all these profiles of like different serial killers that came out of this little town and then you get this really cool like lady cop He's trying to figure out what's happening and like where her friend disappeared to. And she has to work with this dude, Nailbiter, who has basically like done his time and has been released and he's supposedly living and staying out of trouble in this mm-hmm. town. And she has to go and work with him to try to get an inside scoop on how to find these serial killers and what's going on in the town. It's really neat. And it's it's very quirky and silly and and just just straight up fun to read. And there's... There's a lot of it out there. There's five volumes, six volumes of it. Oh, dang. So, if you really love it, you can get the Nailbiter Deluxe Murder Edition. (laughs) (laughs) This is a really cool, like, big hardcover one with a nasty-looking skeleton dead guy on the front. Nice. Yeah. Really, You guys would really like this series. It's definitely like super fun Halloween fodder because there's a lot of references to like costumes and like silly ideas that serial killers come up with. Because of course then there, it becomes like a competitive thing of like the the serial killers want to like, stand out because mm-hmm. they're in this town where all the serial killers come from.
3: That's <laughs> Kind of so looks
1: into the fun. concept of like how are, you know, how are serial killers made? How do they develop?
3: And of course it happens in the Pacific Northwest. my next movie is basically if ghost adventures was a movie it's called grave encounters and you can watch it on netflix or shutter
0: let's just take a moment to appreciate that name though
3: (laughs) (laughs) it's really cheese balls it's so much fun oh i love it i'm pretty sure most people would hate it (laughs) (laughs) because it's that kind of like bro did you see that bro oh no (laughs) It's a ghost, bro, and it's like the found footage kind of, and they don't really do a good job at like making that artistic or interesting. But it's just, I enjoy it so much. <laughs> I'm really surprised that
1: Rotten Tomatoes gives us a 62. percent
3: Oh, that's not too bad. Better than I expected. <laughs> that's pretty
2: good,
0: <laughs> Sierra. It kills me that you haven't watched Supernatural. I'm just gonna throw that out
2: there. Ugh, don't oh, tell Tucker. Hang that. on, hang on.
0: I was wrong. It's a
1: movie from 2011 called Grave Encounters.
2: (laughs) It is is not the TV show.
3: Oh, no, this one is a movie. It is? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, I thought you were talking about a series. I'm sorry. No, it's just, it's very much like all of the ghost hunting shows. Oh, okay. Yeah. And of course, at the beginning, it's like, this is all the true footage that we have left from these brave ghost hunters and it's only been edited down for time's sake and nothing has been altered and this is the true story (laughs) and it's just it's so goofy i love it
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh sounds wonderful
1: yeah i feel like sierra should host her own ghost hunting show with that voice
0: yes oh yeah i love it For my next one, October 24th, we are going to go into the gothic horror. This is a show we've talked about extensively, but I don't, I don't give a fuck. We're going to bring it up again because it is that amazing. Penny Dreadful, which is hands down one of the best fucking horror shows that has been made. It is, again, one of those shows that is so gorgeously made. The aesthetics of the show. I just, I want to live there. (laughs) I want my house to look like one of these sets, honestly. One of the best aspects of this show is the reimagining of classic characters like Dorian Gray and Dr. Frankenstein. And it's just, if you are a fan of classic horror stories and classic horror characters, this is the kind of show that will sweep you off your feet. It is so fucking gorgeous and so wonderful. And I know it's one of Melissa's favorite, too.
1: It is. And I also feel like it's one of those shows that, like, when you try to explain it to people who have never seen it or don't know much about it, it's hard to explain it in a way that makes it sound good. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, there's werewolves and vampires and Frankenstein and everybody. Everybody's in the show, and they immediately start to think of, like, true blood, you know? (laughs) I always find myself having to say, it's not, like, true blood. It's not anything
0: (laughs) like that. (laughs) And Scott, the victorian aesthetic of it it's just Mm. so much eye candy yeah this is absolutely not the kind of thing that you can binge in a day but it's definitely the kind of thing that i will be binging all october so Mm -hmm. i don't care and these next two you guys are ones i'm really excited to hear about but melissa i have shit to say about your next one
1: (laughs) okay are you gonna throw (laughs) some shade (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i also want to say that i think the worst thing about penny dreadful is that they ended it fairly abruptly yeah so i think most people were pretty bummed that that show ended when it did because it just i feel like i just needed more i'm going to talk about castlevania this is an animated series on netflix yes it's based on an old 1980s japanese video game that nobody's probably (laughs) played in a very long time everybody has played there's like a million iterations
2: of that game
1: at some point but i mean what's the most recent i don't know i guess there is a recent i don't know i played it when i was young but like it's not one of those games that i've felt the need to go back to in
0: recent. Drew just got a really awesome Castlevania shirt in his loot box. Well, then he'll be ready for the show, Moni. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's a
1: fan. So this is, it, I will say it's loosely based on Castlevania. Castlevania, as Jackie said, there's been a lot of games, a lot of Castlevania games, so it's never had a very strong story. <laughs> it's, it's always been a very basic kind of like platformer. You know, rolling screen kind of platformer thing. Stab stab skeletons <laughs> and bad things
0: and then keep going until you get to the end. Okay, so here's my beef with Castlevania, okay? It's <laughs> the problem is why are you going in, in into Dracula's castle and starting beef with this man? He's just minding <sighs> his own business. You don't go in a man's house and start some shit that is his house. You don't go into a man's house and try to stab him. I mean, because that's what villagers do, you know? (sighs) Old-style villagers.
1: villagers. Like, they have pitchforks. They get angry at people that That, look different. That is his
0: space. (laughs) Let the man be. But apparently, the series sounds pretty cool.
1: Yeah, so this one is written by Warren Ellis, who's one of my favorite comic book writers. And I was really interested in this when it came out. Uh, I'm not a, I will say I'm not a big fan normally of like the Japanimation style Mm -hmm. of animation, but this one I thought did it really well. Didn't have that like, like awkwardly dubbed feeling or like, you know, where everybody makes these weird facial expressions that last for an extra five seconds uh, or like gigantic weird eyeballs. So I think it was fairly muted in its Japanimation style, I guess. (laughs) How dare Um, you knock my Sailor Moon. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And the girls actually had their stuff in their shirts. So that was a big difference too. Well, it's Warren Ellis. He takes a lot of liberties with these characters and kind of creates them however he wants to. He's got this disgraced monster hunter named Trevor Belmont. And he's just this like douchey, egotistical. He was really annoying to me in the beginning, but he grew on me. (laughs) he decides to try to fight dracula's forces and then you know you've got a magician and then you've got all you just get all these really cool like you kind of get this like ragtag group of like oddly matched monster hunters together and they have to go out and fight demons and and all all the bad dracula minions i think it ended up being really cool it was very short it was over a lot quicker than i expected it to be but I thought it was really cool and I thought it was really fun and the characters did grow on me. And another fun thing for you guys is that you can binge season one of Castlevania and season two will actually be coming out on October 26th. Oh, nice. On Netflix. So huh. then you can get season two and season three has apparently already been greenlit by Netflix. So there'll be more. Yeah. I thought it was a really fun series. Fun, like lighthearted kind of Halloween fair enjoy, because I don't want you to be scared all the time. Yeah, I do. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, so you're tell us about the 26th.
3: I can't remember exactly when we were talking about it, but I think one of our kind of recent recommendations was Killer Legends. Did one of you guys yeah. watch that? Yeah, it's like, that one is like a uh, documentary of like a couple of different urban legends. But this one is the same people. It was their first film that they made. And it's called Crapsie. Yeah. And Crapsie sounds kind of like Bob's Burgers oh, Halloween episode. It does.
1: <laughs> Crapsie. Yeah. <laughs> I just heard Bob in my head, Crapsie.
3: <laughs> the legend behind it changes a lot depending on like regions. It seems like it's in the New York area, kind of up near Melissa. That Crop-sy I think it's Long Island, isn't it? I think so, but then I was reading the Wikipedia and it said that, like, the legend had been passed around all the way up to Hudson Valley.
1: I remember there being a lot of Long Island accents in this. Oh, I'm sure.
3: Yeah. But I guess there was, like, an insane asylum and a creepy kidnapper guy who kidnapped kids in the woods. And it's, it's pretty much a, like, modern-day, don't-go-in-the-woods kind of tale, you know, kids don't go play there. It's not safe. But this documentary kind of goes into tracing back the urban legend and figuring out where it came from and whether there's any kind of truth behind it and who these people actually were and exploring the regions where it said to happen and finding that, like, there's weird rituals going on there and, like, evidence of people doing like bonfires and leaving demonic signals sigils on things and sound fun i know it feels like the fall to me this (laughs) is why you don't
1: go to long island ever i know (laughs) don't go to long island because of the crapsy. (laughs) Cropsy, get you. <laughs> it sounds like a disease. Don't get the Cropsy Don't get the Cropsy in Long Island <laughs> <It's> your mom <laughs> uh-huh. Don't go in the woods, you'll get the Cropsy
3: <laughs> but this one you can find on Hulu or if you have Shudder it's on there, and it's a fun one. I like it a lot,
0: and for the twenty seventh we're going to talk about a podcast, yep, this what? is. Uh-huh. a podcast on a podcast uh-huh this is called alice isn't dead and this is one that my husband harassed me until i'd start listening to but it is good this is actually something that as soon as i started listening to it suddenly i heard everybody talking about how amazing it is there are three seasons of this and i am most of the way through just the first season <laughs> and it's mm. wow. and it, Yeah, (laughs) and it's already good enough for me to recommend, so. This is a truck driver searches across America for the wife that she had long assumed was dead, but she started seeing her wife in the background of news reports. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Lesbian truck driver couple? Absolutely. (laughs) Yep. And in the course of her search... I like it. She encounters not-quite-human serial murderers. It's very... It's very creepy. Her description of these not quite human people is very descriptive, very visceral. And like, you can smell them based on her description. It Ugh. is. Yeah. I don't think I
3: want to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, you were definitely brought into the world here. She's, The format is she's talking to her wife, basically, through tape recorder. She's, like, keeping track of trying to find her wife and keeping record of it to basically play back to her. And it's very wonderfully set. It's the mood that it brings you into is not one you're going to forget anytime soon. This is produced by Night Vale. Yeah, the production quality is, like, you already know it's going to be top-notch there, just based on that. If you're not... Busy slash lazy like me, you you could binge an entire season in a day if you wanted to. But yeah, this is definitely up there in terms of horror podcasts.
1: I haven't listened to any new ones in a, quite a while. So October twenty eighth, ooh, it's almost Halloween. We're getting close. All right, let's talk about a new TV series. This is called The Terror. It is a British horror drama anthology series that premiered on AMC. Started in March. We have been watching it for, I think we spent two nights last week watching it. And I am really digging it. I love horror that's based on real history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think all of us do on the show. (laughs) So this is based on the story of Captain Sir John Franklin, who was part of a, a two ship expedition to the Arctic in 1845 to 1848. I remember watching a documentary on this story actually, and these two ships were lost. They're still lost. They're gone. There's a lot of theories about what happened to them. They found notes left behind. They found a, a grave site. One of the crew members who who had died on the trip. But there's all these kind of like theories about sort of what they were doing was they were they were exploring in a yet unexplored arctic ocean these were supposed to be like high-tech ships at the time when they (laughs) went out they had they were like very well equipped they had something like three to four years worth of rations on the boats because they knew that there was always a risk of going into this icy water that i guess what could happen is they basically stay on the boat like through winter because everything freezes and the boats are stuck the idea being that when things thaw, they continue the journey and move forward. But there was a series of particularly brutal winters and weather where the water didn't thaw like it was supposed to. There's documentation, you know, that was left behind about various things that had happened, but they were last seen. They have a couple reports of some Native Americans, uh, some Eskimo tribes who were local and a couple other various people who saw someone from this ship or saw the ship passing by at some point in this documentary they talked about how they've done like underwater dives in various places that they think the current would have moved these ships and they have yet to find these gigantic ships that have disappeared oh wow bizarre so this is a fictionalized account of that story it's got a great cast it's got, it's got a lot of these actors that like you know you're used to kind of seeing like playing like rough bad guys and various things this guy jared harris who i think i want to say he was in harry potter He was in a lot of things he was sherlock he was in benjamin button i thought he was in harry potter too he's been in a lot of things oh he was in the crown that's our memory from he plays king
0: george in the crown and, oh god i know that face
1: Yeah, and Tobias Menzies, who we figured out is... He was in Rome. Yeah, he's in Game of Thrones, too. But he was Brutus in Rome. Brutus is just as cute as Caesar. (laughs) (laughs) We were talking about this. Couldn't remember his name in Game of Thrones. Oh, he's Edmure Tully. He's the, the Tully that gets taken hostage and gets married at the Red Wedding. Anyway, there's a lot of talented people in this. It is a... Oh, here's better information. 1848, two real-life warships, HMS Terror and HMS Erebus, sent sent on a Royal Naval Expedition to find Northwest Passage become trapped in ice near the Arctic and face starvation, mutiny, cannibalism, and demonic polar bear.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, the imagery and the vibe of this is total, like, gothic horror it's dark and it's gray. And it's like, there's this constant like snow blowing and wind and everybody constantly looks frozen and uncomfortable. I will say that sometimes it took me a while to get used to the, uh, to the accents. The accents are very, you know, almost kind of like mumbly and the words are very kind of cut off. And I think the idea being, you know, you're listening to a lot of uneducated sailors and low standing, you know, people at this in this at this point in time who were manning these ships and, you know, the talking is kind of sloppy. The vibe is so like foreboding. You have this constant feeling like something horrible is coming and something horrible is happening, but it's very quiet and it's settling in slowly. That combined with a constant like chilly feeling of the show nice. is really Really cool. It's very effective. I think we're like four episodes, three or four episodes in, and you can already start to see the slow disintegration of the people on Mm -hmm. this ship. It's not that terrible. You know, you see movies about like when people get trapped somewhere and it's like when somebody's fine one day and the next day they're like, Oh! panic (laughs) it's not like that you know it's like these guys are like slowly their personalities are just like slowly changing in these like subtle and unsettling ways where you can see them kind of behaving a little off and weird things happening that added to the atmosphere of i think it seems like what they're starting to play into in here is a little bit of like the idea of like eskimos having the ability to kind of curse Mm -hmm. or there's some there's a little bit of like a revenge factor going on here there's a demonic polar bear (laughs) yeah there's a a great moment i'm gonna say early on in this show it's very early so i don't think it's spoiling too much uh, where they have to send one of the guys under the water because they think that there's some ice stuck in the rotors it's like this ancient scuba suit With like a suit and then this gigantic like round metal headpiece that they have to like click into place Mm -hmm. and they give the guy instructions on like what to do like if water starts seeping into the suit and it starts filling with water and he's like attached to an old tube you know like one of those old scuba suits that you've only seen kind of in a museum somewhere Mm -hmm. that's That's what they're putting him into and they send him into the depths of this dark frozen water it is creepy as fuck oh my god. He's down there and he's hacking at this chunk of ice and you just see like blackness around him, but like just enough light coming down through the water above through the ice to illuminate the blackness around him, you know, and just kind of this like unsettling feeling of like that this guy can't turn very quickly. He can't see very well. And, you know, you just keep looking behind him like, oh, God, something is going to come behind you. Something is going to come behind you and you can't see and you can't move. <laughs> oh, God. And he keeps kind of slowly like moving his head and his eyes around to see what's on each sides of him. And he can't quite turn his head very well. And he's terrified because he doesn't know if the suit's actually going to work, or if it's going to fill with water. Mm-hmm. It's it's so intense. That
0: sounds tense. <laughs> oh, God. It's very intense.
1: It's very intense. And I will say I'm not going to tell you, but I will say there is something down there.
0: Sounds (laughs) awesome. There is something down there.
1: (laughs) But yeah, you
0: you guys need you guys really need to watch the show. Mm -hmm. Cr and Hines was Caesar in Rome, so you have Caesar and Brutus there. Oh, Mm -hmm. and they're both in Game of Thrones together too. There are only so many British actors; they're in everything together. That's true.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty fantastic, and it's just very. uh, Oh, Eve Nielsen. I remember her. She plays the uh, this Eskimo woman. This very intense scene that happens with uh, with Eskimo. It's beautifully made. The production value is so highbrow, and the vibe is exactly what you want in like a creepy story about eighteen hundreds ships being trapped.
3: Nice. You know, Sierra, <laughs> what you got for us for the twenty ninth? For the twenty ninth, I have keeping in the true crime kind of realm, because we've had some kind of splatters. Throughout our list. this one is Manson Family Vacation, <laughs> and it's not straight super horror. It's a little bit more lighthearted. It is about two brothers who have a very strained relationship. One is, you know, a very like tight laced like family man kind of guy, and then one is like the fuck up of the family. Kind of reconcile and agree to go on this trip because the kind of fuck up brother wants to go on a tour of like the Manson house because you know LA has all of the like Manson tours and things like that once again featured in the Dark Taurus series and so they find out that he has more ties to Charles Manson than previously known. Oh fun. Yeah and it's a this kind of normal brother trying to understand why
0: his weird brother would be interested in any of this stuff. Is he as weird as that dude in the Dark Taurus documentary? No.
2: He's more like
3: <laughs> <laughs> a fun stoner type, <laughs> not like a scary. Oh god, I don't want to be around this person type. <laughs>
0: yeah, that dude was questionable. I mean, those, yeah,
3: those guys kind of
1: seemed like they could, they were fun stoners at one point, and then they mm-hmm. fell off a cliff somewhere. It went a little <laughs> too
3: far. Became a little too real. This stars Jay Duplass, one of the Duplass brothers, and it's done by their production company. So where where the Duplass brothers kind of dip dip into horror and sci fi and weird weirdness
0: they are crushing it with that
3: yeah i like that they are kind of bringing maybe more elevated content into the genres with like creep and in this one and the hotel what's that room something
1: oh with johnny Depp in it. no no
2: it was
3: (laughs) (laughs) i've got it on my server an anthology series of it's like room three something yeah it's room number something about weird stuff that happens in a hotel room and is very like artsy and cool. But Manson Family Vacation is very fun and it's one that I think it's on Netflix, but it's one that I kind of found as like a hidden gem. Very cool.
0: Yeah. And for our final individual ones here, For the 30th, I'm actually going to take this back to the 60s with Whatever Happened to Baby (laughs) Jane, which is one that I had never really considered as horror until recently. And I don't I don't know why it is straight up horror. (laughs) I actually learned a lot about this movie recently, and I I guess I never really just looked into it before. Have you guys seen Whatever Happened to Baby Jane? I have Long,
1: long time ago.
0: It is quite the classic. And one thing I learned is that it birthed a subgenre called hagsploitation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this happened in the 60s when older women in Hollywood weren't getting parts because, you know, they would only write parts for young, pretty women who, you know, could be eye candy on the screen. So these older women who aged out of their roles and but were still needing to work and racking up debts and still saw themselves as movie stars they needed something to to work with you know so what actually happened was Joan Crawford went around and specifically found and created a role for herself and Betty Davis and at that time she and Betty Davis had a known feud in Hollywood
2: mm-hmm.
0: so it was kind of baffling that Joan Crawford would even create something for Betty Davis and want to work with her, and that they decided to work together. But their feud kind of came to a head on the set of whatever happened at Baby Chain. Oh. This actually lends a lot of authenticity to the movie itself. There's a point when Betty Davis has to physically abuse. Crawford on the set and she (laughs) reportedly bragged to one of her friends that she gets to quote kick Joan in the head (laughs) in one of the scenes and she literally kicked Joan in the head in in the scene Mm -hmm. and they like they fought on set like they fought to the point that it affected how Betty Davis did her makeup and like if If you go back and watch this movie, it is really kind of unsettling the way that Davis does the makeup for baby Jane, this aging actress. I I guess I should probably mention the plot. Two sisters, one of them is a child star. Both of them are performers. So the child star is this stage performer that does songs and dance when she's a child and performs with their father. And when they grow up as teens and in their 20s, the other sister, the more plain one as a child, becomes a very serious actress. Actress, while the child star doesn't really do any work at that point, nobody wants to hire her because she's not a serious actress. The actress gets run down and put into a wheelchair, supposedly by the child star. So as they're older, neither of them are working. The one in the wheelchair, the actress suspects that, the, well, everybody suspects that the child star actually ran down the actress and the child star is left to care for her paraplegic sister into their old age, and they both resent each other. And essentially, baby Jane, the child star, tells her sister that she is never going to leave that house again. She keeps her captive goes absolutely fucking insane. You have to take it with a grain of salt that it was made in the sixties, and effects aren't going to be amazing. And, you know, there is gonna be that cheese factor and everything. But for the time frame that it was made in and for what it is, it was actually surprisingly well made. And a lot of people weren't taking horror very seriously at that time until Alfred Hitchcock came around and because Alfred Hitchcock had just done the birds, that that's pretty much the only reason studios were willing to take a chance on this particular movie. It really worked in their favor. The genre exploitation did actually <laughs> spawn out of this particular movie and the feud between Crawford and Davis did actually come to a head because of this movie. And there's actually a series that started last year called the feud based all around the production of this movie and the feud between these two women and it stars Susan Sarandon and Jessica Lange and it's actually wonderful too so this is a lot of really interesting hollywood history here in this weird little horror movie and i kind of love it hmm.
1: so yeah I'd like to find this mini series
0: about it i love jessica lange yeah and susan sarandon is great in it I mean they both are but yeah
3: mm-hmm. yeah all i know about it is seeing the previews during american horror story like constantly oh were they in there <laughs> yeah <laughs> like just because of jessica lang being tied to it they really nice. pushed it hard
0: i wonder if that's why she left american horror story for a while there it might be now it's time for it's 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 halloween (laughs) (laughs) it is halloween ladies and that means we have our group recommendation here
2: i
1: mean let's be honest it's halloween year round for us Mm -hmm. that's
0: true
3: Halloween's more of a state of mind. This is just a technicality.
0: <laughs> it's a it's a way of living. It's a way of life. We decided to do a group recommendation this year because we have all finally watched this movie instead of doing individual recommendations, and that is for Hereditary. Who has shit to say? Let's hear it. Are we gonna talk spoilers? Uh, I don't think we should. It's fairly new still. Okay, a lot of people probably haven't seen it yet. All right. Let's start off with how disturbing this movie is, though. It's pretty fucked up. <laughs> pretty fucked up. It's very disturbing. Melissa, I know I always put you on the spot when we talk about movies involving Kids. children. Yeah. But... It's
1: okay. How you feel, man? What's? I know I'm the only one here who's made one, so... <laughs> <laughs> It was super disturbing. You know, I heard a lot of people kind of make comments like, oh, that didn't go where I expected it to and things like that. But I didn't expect what happened Mm -hmm. in this film fairly early on. And I think that the thing that was interesting to me about this was that there were a lot of kind of distracting elements happening at once. You know, like I kind of wasn't ever sure whether I was supposed to be focusing on the, the grief of the family or if I was supposed to be focusing on the dysfunction of the family or if I was supposed to be focusing on what seemed to be turning into like a supernatural element that was happening mm-hmm. in the background. Right. There were so many things going on that it really kind of kept it kept me feeling throughout the film that like I wasn't really sure what the focus was supposed to be. But I was entirely creeped out through the majority of it. I myself am a sucker for well-placed creepy sounds and this (laughs) movie does that well i think it was the emotional element that this movie plays up really hard in particular what the young boy in the family is going through yeah Mm -hmm. Did distract me a little bit from the horror side of it, just because I felt I felt so much pain for this little boy. It was hard to watch his family crumble. It was hard to watch this boy be mistreated. And it was hard to watch everything that happened around that without feeling emotionally invested in that, you know? Right. Which I know is part of the point. But as a parent, I think that can kind of become distracting from the stuff that's supposed to be fun and scary. Yeah, But intense, intense movie. Really, really great. Well done effects, too.
0: (laughs) For sure. One thing I kept hearing is a lot of people relating this movie to The Exorcist. I didn't really see that comparison when I watched it. I did see a lot of elements relating to Rosemary's Baby. Mm -hmm. I felt a very Rosemary's Baby vibe even before the final scene. Just kind of taking storyline away and taking, like, just trying to consider camera angles you know lighting any 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 kind of anything going on there i just i couldn't see the connection with the exorcist so i don't know where people were getting that from but i will say that this is one of the few movies that has made me audibly shout what the fuck at the screen (laughs) 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 and i was now were
3: you in a theater or were you watching it at home uh,
0: at home okay (laughs) (laughs) although i i feel like i would have shouted what the fuck at the theater too yeah when i
3: saw it in the theater everybody was like oh, (laughs) (laughs) like Like, laughing at each other
0: (laughs) like i was actually in utter disbelief and i I think we all know what scene i'm talking about here that it actually Mm -hmm. happened in the storyline i was like surely that didn't happen, right? Like this Mm -hmm. is yeah. Another thing that really struck me is that Tony Collette, like, she has had quite a career in general. And I've always thought of her as a good actress, but this particular role I feel like really, really brought out some sides to her that I don't think we've ever really seen before. She's incredible. She yeah, she was phenomenal in this role. And I, I honestly can't imagine anybody else in that role. At this point, because she was she just really brought it to life. It was incredible.
1: I think there's a ton of nuance in her character Mm -hmm. in this film where she's constantly sort of changing gears. She's that character that you don't know how to feel about her
0: yeah Mm -hmm.
1: you know and she plays that off so well yeah i'm gonna give you my answer and i want to know your answer there were a lot of different elements in this movie that were creepy in different ways Mm -hmm. right there's like the supernatural stuff there's some body horror there's some i don't know what you want to call it devilly kind of stuff Let's just say. <laughs> For me, this movie did give me one of those moments of, like, I can't sleep. Like, I, I couldn't sleep after this. I'm pretty sure I was tweeting about it. I was like, you guys, I'm tweeting in bed because I want the light on my phone because I can't sleep <laughs> and I'm scared. And, and that was people on the ceiling thing that was going mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Like, I don't want to say what happened exactly, but there's there's like people crawling on the ceiling and or like hiding in corners of the ceiling and that shit
0: just stuck in my brain.
3: <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of look of the body was the only
0: feeling I had that related to the exorcist. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. okay, I can see that in relation to the exorcist, yeah. But yeah, super creepy. What was the creepiest moment for you guys? The The biggest thing for me was the telephone pole. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The sound, it just...
3: I think on our phobias episode, I mentioned that I think a lot about if you have your arm stuck out the window, <laughs> that, like it'll get ripped off. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, oh, yeah. true phobia's coming to life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> One thing that re- what I really love to see in especially horror movies is little details that really round out a scene and really round out a movie in general. For this, that was little details such as every time little? somebody... Like like little details, especially. Little, little little details. (laughs) But like every time somebody came in the front door, the mother shouted for them to take off their shoes. Mm -hmm. There were, you know, points in the film where, and especially when she was building all of her houses, she just put so much detail into those houses that you saw throughout the house. You know, the actual house. I, I really love those connections that you can actually put together. And it really kind of, makes the entire family feel layered and feel more real. Oh the perspectives.
1: Yeah. The perspectives in those little miniatures that she built. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, the I mean just the camera perspectives that they were utilizing was was ingenious. It really kind was. kind of like yeah. the moments of like looking through doorways and looking down through the houses and looking on top of the beds and like, you know, there were so many moments where like you weren't quite sure if you were looking at a miniature or a full size scene happening i don't know about you guys but every time i saw her glance into her miniature house if there was an open door (sighs) or window on the other side of that view i thought Mm -hmm. something was gonna happen out there there. yeah i could not focus on that space that empty space that they were like guiding your eye into yeah
3: yeah that part did get a little distracting to me because i felt like i was trying to read into it and like find parallels between the real world and her dollhouse world and i think We were supposed to do that to a point, but I was maybe looking too much at that instead of everything going on around it. I was trying to be clever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she
1: was kind of like putting together scenes of things that had already happened, right?
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: That's what it seemed like, is that she trying to moments.
3: Figure out her relationship with her own mother through it and all of that.
0: It's worth mentioning that this is the first full-length film that this director has directed or written. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ari Aster. I'm excited
3: to see what they do next.
1: Especially with movies like this lately, too. We've had a a lot of really great indie filmmakers, right, in the past couple of years. The Babadook was also first
2: first for that Mm -hmm. actress.
1: It's interesting because the kind of art house element, the creative element that horror movies have taken in the last couple of years, I still find myself looking for those sort of stereotypical formulaic horror elements that I expect to happen. Yeah. You know, and it does kind of turn you on your head a little bit where like, you're not sure how to interpret a horror movie without those formulas that we're so accustomed to like seeing an empty space or an empty window. Like we assume something's going to happen inside that space. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know. I agree. It Definitely. does take you by surprise.
3: Yeah. It's definitely one that you want to watch a couple times. I need to rewatch it.
1: I don't think I'll be able to watch it again. <laughs> it's it's definitely one of the ones for me. It just has got too many emotionally disturbing elements that I don't think I want to experience it again. Mm-hmm. But I really like it. And I think everybody should experience it at least once.
0: Well, I think that wraps up our 31 Days of Horror on a very Yay! bleak note. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Let's all just think about that sadness for a few minutes. <laughs> well, on a lighter note, we do have two other years of 31 Days of Horror if you're looking for more. To keep you satisfied, I guess. Um, <laughs> and we'll be back with more horror later on in the month. This has been The Sirens of Scream. Thank you for joining us in our spooky endeavors. It is our deepest pleasure to explore the depths of the horror genre with each of you. And there's nothing we love more than reaching out into the dark with all of the creepy crawlies just to tell you about it. To keep us going, please take a moment to... Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to these pod things. If you want to come chat with us or have us come chat with you, hit us up at Sirens at SirensofScream.com. Find show notes, past episodes, and links at SirensofScream.com and hit us up at our social links at the top of the page there. So send us some love or tell us what you'd like to hear about on our show. Melissa, where can listeners find you? You can find me at Lissa
1: Punch on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find me on the Talking Comics podcast. And Sierra, how about you?
3: I'm at Sierra Halk on Twitter and Instagram. And you should follow me on Twitter, because I just retweeted a very good video of a cute dog.
0: <laughs> <laughs> reason. He
3: looks so happy.
0: <laughs> and I am Jackie the Robot on Twitter and Instagram.